Good evening and thank you so much for tuning in to the Sunday night edition of Dave Kinchin tonight. We had a busy week, uh, our inaugural week with lots of uh, coverage of various topics over uh, the last few days. And um, it's great to be again back on the podcast waves. We're actually on a new hosting site, uh, Anchor, the app and also Anchor.fm. That's where we will be hosting the show in the future. Gives us a little bit more flexibility in terms of production as well. Um, We will keep our uh, old shows on the TalkShoe website. We've also incorporated them over to uh, the Anchor platform as well. So you can get it all right here. We will soon uh, have this show up on uh, iTunes as well as Spotify. In addition to our classic rock show that we produce, Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin, that's already on iTunes and Spotify and uh, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, you can uh, pretty much find our show, Rock of Nations, there. That show, we talk a little bit more about uh, classic rock music, and not just classic rock music, but music in general, the influences of different music groups, uh, popular rock groups. We have interviews on there, and uh, kind of replay some of the archived interviews we've done as well. Uh, so that's a new program we started in the past week. Uh, in addition to continuing Give Kinchin tonight, something we did again uh, way back, uh, gosh, 2006 to 2011 is when the show originally ran. So it's great to have that back and to, again, do more uh, in terms of um, topical uh, issues that we cover. We did two series pieces on um, recreational marijuana in New Jersey, an effort to uh, legalize recreational marijuana in New Jersey. You heard from both sides. You heard from folks who support it. You also heard from folks who are against it. And uh, that uh, podcast is uh, downloading quite well um, across the Garden State. And uh, we also spoke with Patience Carter, who was one of the shooting victims at the Pulse nightclub massacre in 2016. Thankfully, of course, she survived. Sadly, very sadly, um, a young lady that she had traveled there with uh, did not make it. We talk all about that with her. She has a new book coming out uh, talking about her life, uh, not only as a survivor of trauma, but also as someone who is working with uh, people who have suffered uh, tragedies as well. She is a trauma counselor and works with people to uh, help them back on the path of uh, uh, really taking, not letting fear, not letting the pain, not letting the trauma take control of their lives. So that's on uh, online as well here on the Anchor app. Really excited to have all of that great uh, content for you. Uh, now, we're, what we like to do on this show, um, Dave Kinchin today, and by the way, you can follow us on uh, Twitter at Dave Kinchin USA, also at Kinchin Tonight. What we like to do is really take time to dive into big issues in an interview format uh, program. And uh, we're sticking with the theme of uh, survival and also the theme of of, uh, surviving violence. Uh, You know, we live in a time where we have so many um, 
workplace shootings or so many uh, active shooters out there. Just the other day, just a few days ago in Rockford, Illinois, there was an active shooter reported, of course, Aurora, Illinois, where I think five people were killed in a, in a, a workplace shooting. This happens uh, way too often. It's absolutely tragic. In fact, uh, I'm broadcasting from the Old City studio here in Philadelphia, and, uh, you know, we usually have pretty good sound um, concealing, but I don't know if you can hear uh, some sirens going by here. Hopefully it's not uh, a... a uh, law enforcement running to a another shooting, which we've had a lot of in Philadelphia. Um, but uh, you know, we hear the sirens, we hear the the um, the calls to being a news reporter. You hear these calls to acts of violence, and it's in most cases we're not dealing with mass shootings. We're dealing with. Um, you know, just tragedies, but one one injury or one death to gun violence is too much. Uh, there is a crisis in America when it comes to gun violence. I'm not going to get into politics on this, but just the facts that we do have major problems there. And one of the things that we're going to do on this show, um, not always focus on it, this is one topic, this is part of the uh, inaugural series, what we've been talking about, the aspect of survival and surviving, as- uh, surviving acts of violence. We're going to uh, talk with a... Uh, well-known uh, active shooter uh, defense uh, trainer, um, someone who was a former Secret Service special agent, a former police officer in uh, Pennsylvania, and someone who travels around the world and trains uh, um, companies and, and, and people in active shooter drills to make sure uh, they know what to do to stay safe. God forbid there is an attack that they uh, end up um, witnessing or being close to or being a part of. So that's going to be part of our show this evening uh, as well in our next segment. But uh, we, again, we want you to join our podcast. We want you to look us up on at uh, uh, Kinchin Tonight uh, on Twitter and Dave Kinchin Tonight on Facebook. We got our Facebook page going. I generally interact more on Twitter on my personal page at uh, Dave Kinchin USA, which is kind of the hub for all of the shows. It's the hub for my reporting work. It's the hub for uh, Dave Kinchin Tonight. Uh, related tweets and also uh, Rock of Nations uh, tweets as well for the classic rock show that we do. But um, we have a, a Twitter, a separate Twitter page also for this show uh, at Kinchin tonight as well. So join us there. So um, a lot to get to. Again, we really hope you listen to those uh, podcasts. There's a lot of information as far as folks who are opposed to uh, medical uh, recreational marijuana, I should say, uh, the legalization effort in New Jersey, a very, very hot topic on the East Coast. Uh, so we looked at that, and then there's a lot of information on the side of those who, um, uh, well, both sides of it, really. It's all covered. Um, two uh, pieces that we did um, with experts on both sides of uh, the issue. So it's great to be on this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, and again, we're coming to uh, Google. We're coming to iTunes. We're coming to uh, Spotify in a matter of days. I can promise you that. I will tweet out uh, that notification when we are on there, but uh, we will uh, begin with our topic tonight, which is uh, continuing with that theme of of, uh, survival and talking with uh, our um, expert uh, who will, uh, John Edelsberger, former U.S. Secret Service, uh, U.S. Secret Service special agent and um, uh, Pennsylvania police officer who has vital information when it comes to uh, surviving. And not just that, we're looking at the law enforcement aspect of this too, how police are dealing with 
uh, reports of violence, how there, uh, you know, there's the debate over guns, of course, and, and bringing in the mental health community. So we're going to look at that and the many resources that law enforcement uses to uh, deal with these kinds of cases as well. Joining me now on Dave Kinchin tonight is a former U.S. Secret Service special agent, a former law enforcement officer in Pennsylvania, and also someone who uh, is an expert in uh, providing training, active shooter training, to, uh, from a, a survival uh, perspective. In other words, uh, he's the one who trains uh, companies and workers on how to best survive a, a shooting situation there. I'm joined by uh, John Edelsberger. How are you, sir? Good, Dave. Great to be with you again. Absolutely. You are a, a dear friend, of course, and we've done some interviews uh, on uh, TV about these uh, unfortunate topics before. I was thinking about, you know, we've had this sort of survival theme going on the show. We talked with uh, Patience Carter, a, a, a former uh, Philadelphia news intern who was uh, one of the victims shot in the Pulse uh, nightclub massacre back in 2016. She's now she's now a, a trauma uh, survivor and someone who helps people who have dealt with violence and, and been victims of violent crime. She helps them on the road to recovery. And, you know, we're kind of wanted to continue with that theme, you know, really focusing on the preventative side of things. You know, we've had, we were just talking a moment ago before we went on, on here about uh, the, uh, the active shooter in Rockford, uh, Illinois, where a sheriff's deputy was killed while trying to serve a warrant. Uh, and then on February 15th, six dead, uh, during a workplace shooting uh, in Aurora, Illinois. I mean, John, when you see these things, what what do you think? I mean, what you know, it's sort of like you know, it, it happens every day. But what what goes through your mind when you see these things and you start to peel back the layers and the facts as they become known? Well, one one thing that's critical is that <clears throat> unfortunately we have such a proliferation of these events that it's almost um, desensitized people. Um, hearing it almost every day, or at least weekly on the news, uh, high school shootings, uh, workplace violence, and so on. There is, there is such a vast, unlimited source of weaponry in the United States now that it's no, big, no biggie to go out and secure an automatic weapon or have something um changed into an automatic capability weapon. Um, so one of the things that's done in almost every incident like this is called a forensic autopsy. And a forensic autopsy is the ability of law enforcement professionals to diagnose and really look at the, the start to finish of the event. And one thing, Dave, that, that triggered in my head was that almost exclusively every bad guy or every perpetrator, I should say, shouldn't say bad guy necessarily, um, has suffered from some type of triggering mental illness that has lit a fuse of hatred inside them. In almost every case, a lot of um, times cues were missed by people in immediate proximity to these um, these shooters that maybe could have prevented it or reduced um, the the capabilities of these people to carry out such carnage. Mm. What in your uh, 
your career, when you look at, uh, you know, training for these types of things, how many workplaces or how many places are not even equipped with a plan uh, for people to survive? Uh, that's, a, that's a tremendous question. And the answer to that is I would say 75 to 80%. Wow. Have no training and not even the capability to um, contact somebody to come in and secure their employees in, in a safe workplace. That's that's incredible, especially in this day and age where these things happen so often. Absolutely. So what... Um, Walk us through, you know, some of the things that that people need to know. I mean, you know, I guess it's different if you're in, if you're in a mall or you're in a public place and somebody, you know, an active shooter shows up versus a, or maybe it isn't different versus an office. But what what should people look out for and what should they do? Well, one of the one of the key things and one of the most obvious things is if it doesn't look right, doesn't sound like right then it's time to um, put a switch of being more aware on inside your head, which means that if I'm walking through a mall in the middle of summer, it's 95 degrees up, and I see a guy walking through with a long black trench coat, and, and he looks to be carrying something underneath the coat, and he just has a very far away look in his face, then I need to be aware that maybe I'm not in a safe environment. Um, things that stand out, and one of the notes that I wrote um, today was that a lot of times, especially like in a workplace scenario, we have a lot of we have a lot of conversation going on, and in some of the workplaces that I've been involved with, that I've been asked to escort people out. Um, there's been an ongoing situation with um, somebody having domestic problems at home, somebody having problems at work, being bullied by a subordinate or a boss or a coworker, um, where there isn't there isn't um, sufficient addressing being done in these issues. Um, we had we had an incident up at the now non-existent Nabisco plant about 10 years ago where actually a security officer, contract security officer, was uh, being picked on by coworkers. And she went to her boss numerous times and there were no actions taken. Unfortunately, that person got to the point where her fuse was fully lit. She came in with the handgun and, and shot and killed several people. Um, before any action was taken. So it's critical that when you see the cues, you see the signals that something is not right with an individual, that you address that with management or HR, and that somebody actually tries to intervene to prevent these things from happening. What, it's really good advice. Um, what happens if you're in a situation where all the, you're in a confined place or you're in a you know, a workplace or somewhere in public, and you, you automatically hear gunshots. I mean, you actually, you know, you know somebody's shooting. You know, there's no mistake in it. It's not a vehicle backfiring. I mean, what do you do if, if those gunshots pop up and they're just, like, 
could be a few feet away from you or, you know, a little bit more distance. What do you do when, when the gunfire already starts? Every situation, Dave, is going to be uniquely different. And what I mean by that is you could be in a five-person office space with somebody who comes in and you have 200 square feet to figure out how you're going to escape. Or you could be in the middle of a mall. What I tell everybody that I speak to is know your surroundings. And when we do our training, we always provide a visual of keeping your head on a swivel, meaning back and forth, the Secret Service, whenever they do an assignment that deals with protection, those guys are looking around constantly up and down 360 degrees to make sure that they're covering this. So going back to your question, know where your exits and entrances are. If you're in a mall, take time, take as much time as looking for that sale item to know where your doors are to get out of there in the event of something untoward like you just referred to. Mm. Know your entrances, know your exits, especially when you have little ones with you. Know how to get out of there quickly. Yeah, that is a big thing, kind of, you know, because people do probably take that for granted. I mean, you sort of maybe walk down an aisle way and see an exit sign and say, oh, okay, you know, but you don't, you don't necessarily think maybe you might need that, God forbid, in a, in a situation like that. Yeah, I, you know, I served a year in Iraq at the height of the war, and one of the things was the ability to take cover. We never knew when we were going get, to get hit by rockets or mortars, but we knew where our, our closest cover was. So that's really important um, in, in all scenarios, whether it's close quarters and you have very little space to work in, or if you are in a, a large venue, even uh, stadiums or whatever, know where you can get to a safe place quickly. Um, the other points that I wanted to make with that, with reference to that is um, stay safe. And that is the ability to stay undercover in a, in a quiet place. You have to remain calm at all times. If you can make that 911 call from underneath the desk, do so. Don't ever anticipate that somebody else is going to call 911. If you're in there in an office space and something horrible like this happens, grab your cell phone, get underneath the desk, get into a closet, call 911, give them your location, and let them go from there. What about the uh, law enforcement side of it? I mean, once that call is made to 911, what happens? Can you speak a little bit about, you know, what happens on the policing side of it, the dispatching, you know, and officers getting to a scene and assessing a situation? Can you walk us through that? Absolutely. When when Columbine happened um, back in 1999, there was a tragic change in protocols up until and including Columbine, in a scenario where somebody called and said there's a shooter in our building, there's a shooter in our school, police would tactically respond to a scenario um, up until that point where they would stage in a, in a close proximity to it, but then they would set up 
entry teams. They would designate certain units to go in certain doors. Uh, uh, team A is going to go in south side. Team B is going to take the, the east entrance into the school. Unfortunately, you had Klebold and Harris at that point in time um, walking through the school systematically shooting and then finishing off the 12 kids and teachers that were killed there. There were also 20 injured. The point that I'm trying to make there is that time is critical. Time is critical because most mass shootings are gonna be over in a, in a time space of maybe as little as two minutes and maybe as long as five or 10 minutes. But it's gonna be over quickly and the carnage is gonna happen. Mm. The, the protocol changed in that now the, the, the procedure is gonna be immediate response and immediate entry into the critical mass area of where, where the assault's taking place. Mm. Once that's happening, once everybody, all the, the uh, officers are on the ground and they're, you know, they're doing what you said and they're working the situation, um, how quick, you know, it, what's happening as far as trying to identify the shooter? Or I guess there might be a situation where they have to, God forbid, confront the shooter. I mean, you know, and, and that's a whole different thing as well, I bet. Well, another point um, that I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up, because another point is, if you are, and the chances are one in a million that anybody listening to this is actually gonna be um, in, in a scenario like this. But if you are in, in, in the middle of this kind of situation, you need to take cover and you need to stay there until police arrive and clear the area. Police, when they get into a shooting situation like this, are tactically trained to look for moving targets. Okay. What that means is, unfortunately, if you're running across the cafeteria while they haven't identified a shooter yet, you could possibly be a victim of a friendly fire situation. Mm. Do you understand that? Mm. My gosh. So stay in place until, until the officers come and physically clear the areas they come and they actually touch you and say it's safe to come out now. What about um, when you're you're talking about um, uh, you know tracing where weapons come from? You're looking at you know once the situation has happened and you have the first responders trying to handle that situation on the ground. What about you know the the investigation? When does that begin? What do they start looking for right away? You know I I know at some point they go through social media they interview police will interview families, things like that, right? You know, they're gonna mark off the crime scene immediately, which means that they're gonna start their forensic investigation right at the scene from picking up um, um, shell casings to uh, marking pieces of evidence that they pick up, whether it's um, weaponry used by the bad guys or um, so on and so forth. So, you know, you had a, a shooting at the, the nightclub. I actually came in and, and did um on-set interview with, um, with Fox News after that unfortunate uh, shooting down there. But they're gonna mark it off and they're gonna keep that as an active crime scene until they go through every inch of it and diagnose it and secure evidence for 
the purpose of either criminal prosecution or, again, the uh, forensic autopsy that they're going to do to try to figure out what caused this thing to happen. Mm. And, um, you know, I think in the media, sometimes reporters, you know, the news media, there's there's such a, a rush to get things, you know, to get the facts as quickly as possible, get it out to the public. But that's not the case at all in policing, right? I mean, especially, you know, law enforcement, you guys have to be especially careful and take your time. You really, you really have to be prudent in the release of information to um, the media. We understand the, the urgency of getting that story on air. Uh, uh, ahead of um, other news channels in the area, but we we have a, um, a a moral, ethical, and legal responsibility to present this when it's most prudent and and appropriate to uh, release names, release information, and so on. You have to d- remain your professional stature. Can, can that be hard when, I guess last question I had, can that be hard when you're dealing with I mean, some of these cases like Parkland or like um, um, the Vegas uh, shooting there um, at the Mandalay Bay? I mean, do you, is, is that, when you have so many pieces and some, you know, the national media starts swarming and things like that, can it be tough for local law enforcement to, to you know, be committed to that, you know, be in that vacuum of the investigation and only the investigation with so much swirling around? Well, that's that, that's the re- responsibility, and that's why the chief and mm-hmm. superintendent of police and um, and a higher up echelon um, in the administrative part of it have um, have such big salaries. I'm saying that facetiously, but mm-hmm. the re- responsibility of upper management to to manage that. Um, we we were always taught as rookie cops that you don't give interviews, you don't give that interview any kind of information to the media because that's not your that's not in your bailiwick. That's not your responsibility. You you refer everybody to the press you know, liaison. Um, but it can be it, you, you can't even imagine what it's like when you have multiple shooting victims that you have to deal with. I was um, fortunate enough to teach a course in the United Arab Emirates in December of 15 um, with a gentleman who was um, he was actually at Sandy Hook and um, he was the site site um, manager with the Connecticut State Police and he said John I not only had to deal with all, all these precious children who were killed and 20 of them but he said, I had as many traumas with first responders and my state troopers and fire response people as I did with the family. So, it's, Dave, it's multidimensional. The trauma is like a tsunami that weighs out. And he said, I had EMS people and law enforcement people that could never work again after that day. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, I, that, and that was something I meant to get to, too, because, you know, one story that I've been hoping to do um, is is on the uh, officers and, and, and people who see, you know, come across this trauma. I mean, how do, how do these officers cope 
or uh, investigators. I remember I was up in Morrisville uh, last week where those, uh, or two weeks ago, where those, the, the family of five that was found dead in, in an apartment. Right. Um, you know, I, I interacted with the police chief, and, and I could tell that, you know, he and his officers, anyone who had seen what they had seen in that room were absolutely just devastated and I, I just wonder how do they deal I mean how do you you know you've probably seen some things in your time in law enforcement how do you deal with with all of that uh, psychologically and, and mentally well you know fortunately uh, we've progressed in, in that in that area to now provide um, psychological support for um, people personnel that have been subjected to crime scenes and and things um, uh, of that of that magnitude psychologically we we all only have a certain capacity to um, manage trauma whether it be physical emotional psychological before you break so if if i can reflect back to my starting days i started as a police officer in lower murray in, in 1979 and I remember I had a suicide by train in 1981, right before Christmas, guy jumped in front of Paoli Local. Oh my gosh. And I had, I had about a hundred witnesses that were finishing up Christmas shopping. Um, I had a rookie cop who was first on the scene. He had no clue what was going on and how to deal with it. And I remember after handling the immediate scene there it was my job and and not without getting too graphic but having put this guy in in um putting this guy in body bags mm. that i had to go back to work and uh finish the report and then then go back on a, i was back on the street dave in two hours wow oh my god after that and after was, something that traumatic after, I mean, my, that, that yeah, graphic. my my boss was a Korean War uh, combat veteran in the Marine Corps, and somebody jumping in front of a train was was like a, a parking ticket to him. Oh my gosh! Wow, that that's no longer the way. At least it's offered. But anyway, anybody who has been subjected to it over and over again, it, it takes its toll. It really does. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about that. John Adelsberger, thank you so much for spending uh, some time uh, this evening and talking with us. Anything else you'd, you'd uh, like to add at all? I know we covered yeah, a lot of ground here. Just like, you know, to let people know that they can contact me anytime for a consultation through you. Um, I'd be glad to come out, and, if, and I've done it a lot of times. But, you know, just be aware of your surroundings. If you're not sure of something, Talk to somebody else about it. Report it to somebody. If in your gut there's nothing like your intuition that's better to uh, protect you in a lot of scenarios. But be safe. Be on, on your guard. Be alert. Always know where you're at. And, um, and be safe. That's all. Former U.S. Secret Service Special Agent John Adelsberger, also a uh, specialist uh, person training uh, folks to survive active shootings and uh, training law enforcement. Sir, thank you so much for appearing tonight. My pleasure, Dave, always.
fantastic insight there. You'll have to actually break up our podcast into a few bits there to get all of that insight because we're talking about uh, so many different things, but that's why you can start and stop it. A great thing about podcasting. Next week, a busy week as well. President Trump asking Congress for $8.6 billion for border wall security. What we'll do is take a look, not so much at the politics of it. When we do that, we always do it in a balanced way, by the way, but we're going to look at what's actually happening happening at the border now in terms of what uh, border security officers deal with, the risks, the different uh, from uh, drug trafficking, sex trafficking, all the things going on there. We're going to sort all of that out. And the Mueller investigation uh, continued speculation that it's nearing completion. We're going to look at how such a massive investigation works structurally as well. We'll have an expert who will sort that out for us. We know all of the players, all the key names and everything that comes up there, the the who's who of that case that's been going on uh, really forever, it seems like. But how do the actual investigators go about their work? Something I've always been curious about, perhaps you as well. We will get that answered for you. We are on the Anchor app. The old podcasts are on TalkShoe. Just search Dave Kinchin tonight, but we've moved over to the Anchor app and love the flexibility coming there. We will be on iTunes uh, within days. Also Spotify within days. Follow us on Twitter at Dave Kinchin USA. Also at Kinchin Tonight. Thank you for joining us. Have a great week. This is Dave Kinchin Tonight.